0: Good morning, uh, I'm Steve Mosley and one of the elders here, and today it's my privilege to speak to you uh, from the Word of God, from the book of 3 John. So, if you want to turn there to 3 John, in the pew Bible, that's in the, uh, underneath the seat, I believe it's page 1026, although the Pew Bible that I looked at didn't have page numbers on that page, so you have to, go, you have to search around and then get there. Third John, and this continues uh, from uh, a message on 2 John that was two weeks ago. And today we'll be looking at this little epistle... It would fit onto a, papyr- a piece of papyrus. And it competes with Second John for the smallest book of the Bible. And uh, let's see. It's, it loses by two verses. Um, this past week, I watched um, part of a DVD series called Dispatches from the Front. And it's put out by Frontline Ministries, uh, which one of our missionaries here, John Hutchison, is a part of. And uh, I highly recommend that series. And in the particular um, episode I was looking at, it took place in Morocco. And a group of Moroccan, American, and Latin American believers Work together to get uh, New Testaments out to the people in Morocco that ask for them through radio Christian radio programs and Internet ministries. People from all over Morocco. and in the particular episode. Uh, I was looking at uh, this group working inside Morocco, living inside Morocco, were, were planning the ministry trip of two Peruvian believers who had been in Morocco for six months, six months language study, and they were going out on their first ministry pilgrimage. And they were going out for about two weeks, and they planned together on a map how they would use public transportation to get from a city to the next city with a list of names of the believers. And they would go to those people's door and give them a New Testament and share the gospel. And along the way, they would just share the gospel with people. They took backpacks full of gospels, or of the New Testament, and a little sack of belongings, and a cell phone. And off they went. And they were going city to city, to towns, to villages, outside of villages. And as I looked at it, I just had to kind of hyperventilate it. Because I was saying to myself, that is really dangerous. That is super dangerous. Because of the traitors that have happened within Morocco. Ask for it and it's a trap. And because of the reaction of family members to them going there. But they went out. And... They, uh, I presume, they came back after a couple of weeks. Uh, the it didn't. <laughs> the episode didn't have the ending. But you know too that Jesus sent out his followers, his disciples, and then the seventy-two also, a larger group of disciples, two by two. And the apostles went out too. We especially know about uh, the Apostle Paul because of the book of Acts, which follows his ministry as he went out by sea routes and um, the major roads. The Roman Empire had a system, we might call it interstates, but Roman roads, some of them still used today after 2,000 years. And they traveled, Paul traveled, with a small group of... Co workers and went city to city, usually to major cities. He didn't go out into small towns, didn't go to villages, but he went city to city. And churches were established, and those churches grew, and they sent out missionaries. Those missionaries they sent out, itinerant missionaries, would travel back and they would visit the cities in which there were churches and they would evangelize. And they would visit places that had never heard the gospel. Uh, it's, It's kind of like, okay, you plant churches along the interstates in the United States. Well, what about South Jersey? What, what about, okay, if it's just no paved roads, just dirt roads, how are you gonna get the gospel? I don't know, down into the other counties, into Ocean County, down to Cape May. How, how well, you gotta go. Uh, you know, I don't know whether you know the story, but uh, Richwood, was known by a different name before. Did you know that? Richwood. You know what it was named at? It was called Helltown. Because a man named Skinner had a tavern there. White Horse Inn and Tavern in the 1820s. And it was called Helltown. But this man, Skinner, had a dramatic conversion. And he tore it down. And he became an exhorter. And then he became a preacher. And this man, Skinner, went all over South Jersey. He especially, uh, (laughs) what I read, it was Old Gloucester County, where he concentrated. And, you know, when I first came to South Jersey, I, I just thought, where did all these Methodist churches come from? I, I mean, I'm from the South, okay? They're not Baptist churches. You're kind of like more like that in the South, but these Methodist churches, you know where they came from, is people just like Skinner, who took the gospel all over and preached and gathered people into groups. And he died in his daughter's house in Glassboro. Today's reading is Third John. And he writes about a disruption in the missionary outreach and the outreach of inner church ministry in the established churches of the first century. And uh, this morning, I'd like to guide our understanding with three points from the Bible, from 3 John. And we've. We didn't read 3 John, did we? No, we didn't read 3 John. Okay. <laughs> I'll read it with you. Okay. We'll read it now. It's, okay. 15 verses. The elder to the beloved Gaius. Or Gaius. I'm going to mix that up all the time. Portuguese just comes through sometimes, I'm sorry. I want to say Gaius, okay? But sometimes I mix it up. Um, The elder to the beloved (laughs) Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers. Strangers are as they are. These brothers that he talks about, are these teams of itinerant evangelists, missionaries, preachers, that are traveling about, okay? That are sent out and they travel, they're itinerant. It is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testify to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come... I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense about us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Greet the friends, each by name. This is God's word. Uh, My first point today is to point out the problem. Second, to see how John responds to the crisis by calling out a leader to go forward. And thirdly, how he instructs this leader. Uh, First is the problem. Uh, You may have recognized it. It is essentially a man named uh, Diotrephes. And Diotrephes refuses to recognize apostolic authority. This is just unimaginable. To me, how can you be a Christian and say, No, you got it wrong, Apostle John? I know something better. He refuses the authority of those who were chosen by the Lord Jesus to be witnesses of his life and words and to minister those life and words. And he promised to guide them, and Diatrophes refuses to be under that authority. Um, you may remember in 2 John, th- this was kind of reversed. In 2 John, John writes to a church and he says to them, basically, watch out for the groups of itinerant preachers that do not follow apostolic doctrine and, and the truth of what Jesus, who Jesus is, and Jesus, what Jesus taught, and what, how Jesus saves us. So he warns the church, watch out for those false teachers. And here, the false teacher is in the church. And he refuses to let any of the teachers coming from John's church, sent out by his church, to go into the church. And if anybody helps them, he kicks them out of the church. This is a huge disruption. What? It's a break from the apostolic teaching, the truth of what the Bible teaches. Now I'd like to say, this situation is pretty close to a lot of us here, to you here. Uh, This kind of situation is parallel as a number of you know, I look around and see some, to 38 years ago, and the beginning of joy. The beginning of joy began with heartbreak, began with the inability to continue in a church that was operating against how God taught. And it began with tears, not with joy. Now there was no joy at the beginning. It was not there. It was people weeping and meeting again and weeping. And what does God want us to do and joy was a promise from God to enter into joy in a new church. And that's the heritage of joy. And many of you here know that's the heritage of hope church that joined with joy. That was the heritage there too. Profound heartbreak. And it's a sad thing to say that Others of you here, too, not from those two situations, but other situations come out of the heartbreak of church leadership gone bad. That's the world we live in. That's what has touched us. And I just want to say, um, as one of the elders of this church, uh, we have not forgotten that. We we pray for every one of you, every member, pray for visitors, pray for regular attenders, and we pray for ourselves, and we keep watch over each other. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Uh, I love it. It's so healthy. But this problem calls, it's a difficult problem, but John must act. These missionaries that he was sending out, they went out with very, very little. They went out going into places that were dangerous, that were infested by bandits Southern Turkey and one other place were known in the first century Roman Empire as the most dangerous place in terms of banditry. People robbing, robbing uh, single people on the road, robbing groups of people. There were two places. Do you know the other place? Judea. Uh, that poor man that was beat up in the parable of the Good Samaritan, that was not unusual. Judea was known as a place. So it was dangerous. And it was dangerous for these missionaries. They needed places of refuge to be received into homes, to go to a place where they could teach and they could eat, And it was disrupted. And so out of this, uh, John acts. He doesn't say, well, God will take care of them. Now, that's a true statement. Okay, I do believe that. But along with that statement um, is the truth that God uses his people to do his will. And if God takes care then it's very likely God's going to use his people. So he writes, he says he's written to Diotrephes, and then he writes to Gaius. And uh, Gaius, uh, he addresses, I don't know whether you got it, it sounded a little bit over the top. Did Did you catch that, how he talks to Gaius? The beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you. And he goes on a little bit farther. And for I rejoiced greatly. You are walking in the truth, he says. I have no greater joy than this, than to hear my children are walking in the truth. He calls upon Gaius to step up. And he does it by calling him and he calls him in a very uh, particular way he believes Gaius is qualified to step into a ministry like this he says to Gaius that he walks in the truth he's a qualified person called to a position of leadership he walks in the truth other people have testified about his Christian life. And he says in this verse that parents always dream, say, Yes, that's what I indeed want most of all. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Okay, parents, have you thought of that? Yeah. Oh, have you thought about that? No great, yeah, 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 yeah. No greater joy. Now, that's a great verse for parents to really pray and say, God, I want my child to walk in the truth. That would be the happiest thing for me. But it's not just for the parents, right? You obviously hear. Gaius is not John's natural son. But John has children. And so let me encourage you. You can have a lot of children, spiritual children, and walking in the truth. And that is going to bless you. Amen. You're not going to have greater joy than to see people that you have touched, and they've gone on maybe way beyond where you are spiritually, and they're walking in the truth. And it just, um, it just is a great thing to know that uh, there are men and women that are standing for God in, for me, it's Portugal. And they are ministering and serving God and walking in the truth. And uh, that's the plan of God. He is the right person because he is faithful. Apostle Paul, he said to Timothy, who he called his child, he said to Timothy, The things that you have heard that Paul has taught in the presence of many witnesses, these things entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So this passage of of the truth walking in the truth goes through spiritual generations. And he calls uh, Gaius to step up. And he does something very interesting. It's very interesting to me how he commends him into this before he challenges him. He, He talks about How he regards Gaius and and how Gaius has touched the lives of other people. And perhaps to you uh, and to me, I was raised in a military family and uh, my father was southern and he was pretty strict. And yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, yes, sir, no, sir. And um, although I think our, uh, oh, I know my mom and dad really love me, there weren't a lot of expressions of love. Do you know what I mean? Not not a lot of expressions of love. Um, And I want you to look and hear what John says to this man, Gaius. Beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, he keeps calling him beloved in 11, 10, uh, 11 also, excuse me, beloved, and he says other people testify to the truth, and he knows he has walked in the truth. He celebrates Gaius' walk, he celebrates it. And it's because it's true. You don't celebrate it if it's not true. For instance, okay, I'm just going to apply it in family life. When a baby takes its first step, okay, okay, uh, it's coming, Billy. It's it's going to come, okay. Baby taking the first step, and you know what? You're thrilled, aren't you? I mean, uh, people around you are thrilled. You see a baby, and it just mm, it made one step. Yay! That's great. Oh, that's wonderful. Ah, yes, 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 yes. That's yes, baby step, and you celebrate it. But it the the child is a baby, all right. Now, if a 15-year-old goes <laughs> no, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. no, 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 no. But there are things a 15-year-old does. And perhaps in the life of a child of God who's 15, and parents look on, they can celebrate certain things. And John celebrates. He says, this is great. Beloved guys, you are walking in the truth. Other people see that. He celebrates this. Because it's appropriate. And the call to leadership and to make sacrifices that he gives to Gaius comes out of this commendation. The truth is what he he sees in this man. And he tells him what he sees. Now that's different. That's different from the way I grew up. That's just different. But I was taught something different. I mean, God was working on me, but I especially saw it one time when I wasn't at home and a co-worker called the house looking for me and uh, my daughter answered the phone. And it was her birthday. And Pat was home and my daughter just talked to him and she walked away from the phone crying. Because my co-worker... Said things that were true about her life. And I'm ashamed to say, I had not told her those things. But she was thrilled to hear them, and it moved her profoundly. Brothers and sisters, we need to celebrate baby steps. Baby steps, Just the first bit. Ba- ah, that's great. The new Christian just makes a baby step. Encouragement. But we don't stop there, do we? We can't stop there. It just should be a way of life. And here I was a pastor. Goodness gracious. But I've really, I've really, um, I've worked on that, brothers and sisters. Things that are true. Not not, not uh, whoopee about, you know, I don't know how you feel about it, but everybody gets a trophy. No, no, no. no. Everybody gets a trophy. No, no. But the truth celebrated in kids and people in the church. And it's part of calling them to the next step. It's part of that. And John does this here, and you know the Apostle Paul, he does it. Baby steps. Yep, 1 Thessalonians. Look and see what he says about those new believers. They're new believers. He celebrates them. The mature, firm believers. Like in Philippi. He calls them, my joy and my crown. (laughs) Ah, Timothy. Timothy. My child, he says. Timothy, my child. And then, and then he says hard things sometimes. He calls them before God, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the angels to work in his ministry a certain way. So he, he does both of those things. Even to the, the Galatians that were off track, he begins his, his epistle to them, saying grace and peace, and he ends it with peace. This kind of leadership that John exercises here calls Gaius to make big sacrifices. And um, that's where we're moving now. Uh, in verses, especially, it's especially in verses 6 through 8. This is the call to Gaius. A challenge to serve the servants of God. And in the middle of verse 6, um, uh, there's a period right in the middle. And he says, after that period, you will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. Boy, those are big words. Send them in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name. Accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. So, there are three parts to this challenge. The first is that they're to be sent on, the brothers sent on in a manner worthy of God. I'd like you to reflect on that a little bit. It's the worthiness of God sent on. When uh, Brian Davis was here last week, and he preached. And you could say we sent him on. He's going to Minneapolis to plant a church. And he passes through us. And we send him on. And you know the church will give him a gift. But we can honor him. And I do believe, uh, brothers, he honored us with a wonderful message from God's word. Powerful message. No doubt about that. And we should think how we can continue to honor him. Because he's going out in the name. And it's the worthiness of God that's at stake. With Lane and Lisa, go out in the name, and we send them out. And missionaries go and they come. <laughs> they come. So the Keola's over there, back from India. But we send them should send them in a manner worthy of God. Revelation 5.12 says, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. (laughs) Breathtaking. But... This is said of things that honor God. That, that he's worthy of, to be given these things. So the praise that goes to him is not just in word. It's not just our mouths. It should be there. We should speak out of our hearts to God and worship him. But there in Revelation... He says, power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing should all come from the worshipers to God. How how do those things get to God? Okay. He does say wealth. (laughs) He says wealth. That's the offering, the offering, the collection of monetary gifts is an offering that is praise to God because worthy is the lamb that was slain. When we give our strength, strength, use our strength for God. Boy, I think of uh, the compassion ministry. I really do. Think of the deacons. Think of men and women that work for other believers and help in yards and so many other things. That's offering to God your might. And when you speak up for God at work, I was talking to a believer last week about this. Speak up for God, and you are, people try to shame you for that. When you are dishonored because of the name of the Lord Jesus, you are offering praise to God. You have offered your personal honor to God. Do you see that? It's it's, it's giving to God wealth and wisdom, your best thinking. Glory, the best to God. And the sacrifice of these things should be reflected, he says to Gaius, in the brothers that go through your city. And under your leadership are ministered to and cared for and sent on their way. And uh, that's the manner. And he says in the sentence after that, that they've gone out for the sake of the name, because of the supreme value of the Lord Jesus. They are to be cared for. Now, the supreme value, they carry these these brothers, the itinerant missionaries back there in Gaius' time, and those who come through they carry things that are is for the sake of the name. And they carry, if they're carrying the correct doctrine, they're carrying the things of first importance. What Paul said, he said, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the 12, and, and he goes on. But there is nothing more important, he is saying, than the gospel. Who Jesus is, and what he's done. Paul says he is not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Those who have put their trust in Jesus, and trust the work that Jesus accomplished according to the gospel, know it is precious, and it's powerful. And it's our hope of the future. Now, I'd like to just take a moment this could be really foreign language. I don't know. Uh, if you're visiting. Really absolute terms. Truth. Truth. Well, what is truth? Um, if, you, if you haven't embraced this truth of Jesus... It's really important to understand that John and and, um, the different followers of Jesus at the time of Jesus wrote their experience. And that has come 2,000 years later to to, to the present, to us. And the Bible that uh, we believe at this assembly is a result of that work 2,000 years ago. And those men that wrote us the Bible and told us that certain things were of first importance, they experienced those things. John says this in his first letter. He says, "...that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you eternal life. Now, John said that about 2,000, well, 1,900 years ago. And he says, I saw, I touched. He was convinced that um, God... Intruded upon the time that he lived, that Jesus came from God. And he says, That was truth. I was there. And all the things that Jesus did, he wrote so that he can tell, and he can tell now, tell others, and it comes to us. And the reason why we're so convinced of these things is because. It has changed us. We have ch- I changed my opinion about these things. When I heard a clear presentation of the gospel, and I knew it was true, and I would just uh, ask you, if you're here and you're thinking, wow, uh, this, this is different from anything else in the past. I would just encourage you, turn away from being independent from God. God is there. He's entered the world. Jesus came, and he taught, and he died on the cross for our sins. Turn away from being independent from God. And it's really rebellion against God. God who created everything, including you. And surrender and turn your life to the God of the Bible, the Lord Jesus Christ. Put trust and hope in his work. His dying for your sins. To get you back. to Be reconciled with God. Now I'd say don't delay. Don't delay. Will you trust Jesus, his work? To deliver you from your sin and to make you a child of God. I just appeal to you to do that today if you've never done that. Put your trust in God. So, John says. Going back to the text, John says, they went out because of the supreme value of the name, Jesus. Because that supreme value of the name, what he did, how he entered the world, and the ministry in our lives, the changes that come to our lives, some instantaneously, some progressively, that is of supreme value. And so these messengers that are coming and going out from Guy's church, they are to be regarded in a certain manner and helped in a manner that's worthy of God. And he says, finally, um, finally, uh, he says, Therefore, because of those truths, of the value of the name, of the people and their purposes that they've gone out for, therefore, he says, we ought to support people like these. People that are doing that, we should support them. And he says something that's very interesting. Why? He says that we may be fellow workers for the truth. He says, You, by cooperating in giving and helping them, you are becoming a worker too. You're a fellow worker. In our honoring Brian Davis, receiving his family and sending him out better off than he came out to Minneapolis, we become fellow workers with his work. The one who goes out is one with the one who sends him out. You see that? He says, fellow workers. So they do not go alone. Now, this is not just here in this text. This unity of the one who goes out with the ones who sins them, goes all the way back to the Old Testament. And uh, I'll just use one example. There's a, uh, In 1 Samuel 30, uh, it's in the time of King David. And at, uh, before he becomes king, he has his soldiers, he has a group of soldiers that are following him. And he's away from their hometown. And the group of soldiers and him come back and the town is destroyed. No one's there. Everything's gone. And they can follow the trail. But after marching back, probably for days, to get to their home, their home's gone. Their wives, their children, all gone. And they march after in the direction that the people that raided and took everything took, went off. And they have a forced march. They're already tired. And they're marching through the desert. And they come to a point, And a number of them are absolutely exhausted. They cannot go on. And so they unload their burdens. And those that can go on keep going. And it ends up, they catch up with the Amalekites. And there's a battle. And David's men win. And they rescue everyone. No one was killed. Wives, children. And they they get it all back and much, much more. The Amalekites lived by raiding villages and towns. And so they come back. And they're ecstatic. And they come back, and they come to the group that was left behind, where the baggage was. And a group of the men say, we'll give them their wives and children. But we won't give them anything else. And David says, God gave them into our hand. The share of the one who goes down into the battle is likewise the share of whom stays by the baggage. They shall share a life. Do you see that? you get that? The ones who fought divide the victory with the ones that made it possible for them to get to the battle. They are one. And the victories and the souls that are won through the ministry of the people that we send out are our spoils. They're part of our rejoicing and our giving to God. You have great spoil, great. Profit in Portugal. <laughs> you have eternal dividends. You have eternal dividends and profit in India and in Bolivia and in Kazakhstan and many other places. Now, Here at Joy, you know that change is coming. It's coming. And um, church planting has been part of the DNA at Joy since the very beginning. Church planting, missions, groups going out in the summer, missions, and sending out groups from the body elsewhere. And we know change is coming. But John reminds us today there's a way to send people out. Uh, it could be with tears, it could be with tears, because it's costly. But the Lord Jesus knows that, those costly tears honor him. So as we uh, face the future that God is calling us to, but be with I really do pray that God will raise up more to go out to the nations. I pray fervently for that for our body, that we'll have more that will, 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 will want to grow and grow to the point where they can be commended and sent. Pray that God would put it in hearts here that they cannot ignore what God desires and they'll prepare for it. And I pray for, for groups going out and people going out even if it's just for the summer, Joanna going out to Guatemala for over a month and send, let's send her well. Let's send her in a manner that's worthy of God. And it's coming. God's knocking on the door. Church growth, search planning. Let us do this in a way that honors God and puts him first of all. I know it could be really costly. Be costly, because when God sends out one way or another the blessing to go elsewhere, it will cost those who go and those who stay. And let us do it in a way that Jesus Christ honored, valued for the sake of his name. Lord Jesus Christ, we honor you above our lives. You have redeemed us. And so we once again put ourselves in your hands to send, to go as you desire and you direct. Father, we do want to say yes to you. Yes honoring your name. Yes, to the gospel, to the work that Jesus has done and its supreme value and the need to share it to all the nations and in our neighborhood. And we uh, pray these things for the glory of Jesus in his name. Amen.